right, everyone. Welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for stopping by. I do appreciate it. If you like listening to a guy talk about one unsystematically chosen movie at a time in weekly episodes, then look no further. To keep up with the newest content, you can find Brandon at Random Reviews on most major video and audio platforms, as well as all popular social media sites. If you enjoy this, please like and subscribe. I actually feed on positive acknowledgement from the internet for sustenance. So yeah, just if you could do me a favor. So the movie this week is Twister, released on May 10th, 1996, directed by Jan de Bont. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. It's French or some shit. He directed Speed with Keanu Reeves and Dennis Hopper, and I still like that movie. I think it's held up pretty well. It's an enjoyable one. It's basically like Die Hard on a bus. I mean, they were making nothing but like Die Hard ripoffs in the early 90s. For the writers, we have Michael Crichton and Anne Marie Martin, who are a married couple, and they actually developed this screenplay together, and it sold for what was a record amount at the time, like $2 million, and that was like unheard of. For the producers, we have Michael Crichton, Ian Bryce, and Kathleen Kennedy. Ian Bryce has worked on a ton of different things. Notably, he was a producer on a lot of the Transformers movies, if not all of them, I can't remember. And Kathleen Kennedy has produced a lot of movies herself, and she's probably best known for becoming the president of Lucasfilm after George Lucas sold the rights to Disney. For the score, we have composer Mark Mancina, and he has a pretty hit-and-miss resume. A lot of collaboration with Hans Zimmer, like he started with Hans Zimmer, I believe. For the cast, we have Helen Hunt, who plays Joe, and she was in What Women Want, and I haven't seen that movie in forever. It's It has to have been at least 20 years. I liked it at the time. I don't know if I'd still like it. Maybe it's kind of stupid. I don't know. And she was also in As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson. And that movie was pretty decent. It's about this old guy who is just like this big piece of shit. And like he kind of starts to come around to being a little more open-minded and things like that. And then we have Bill Paxton who plays Bill. He was in Aliens, which is a solid sequel to Alien and it, it's actually more of an action movie than Alien was. He was also in Apollo 13. That movie has Tom Hanks and Kevin Bacon, and I can't remember who the fuck else is in that. Maybe, I know Gary Sinise is, I'm pretty sure he's in that one. Great fucking movie. Honestly, timeless, just fucking awesome. I really, really like it. It, it just, it was really well made. Ron Howard was the director, and Ron Howard typically does very well with most movies. The only one I can think of is like How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey, and I just, I don't fucking like that movie at all. Then there's Carrie Elwes, who plays Jonas. He was in The Princess Bride, which is an all-time great. It's a Rob Reiner picture, and it's just hysterical. It's got a lot of funny bits in it. A lot of really memorable things go on in the movie, and it's just it's a really cool story, and I just really enjoy it. Definitely a future episode if I can if I can make room for it. Also, he was in Robin Hood, Men in Tights. He was the titular character, and that movie is one of those ones that I loved when I was a kid. I thought it was the funniest fucking movie, 
but it's also one of those ones that I think you have to, it's very of its time and you really have to have watched it when it came out to have found it as funny because I've tried to show it to people and they're like, this is fucking stupid. Like this is the dumbest fucking movie I've ever seen. But what can you do? Next up, we have Jamie Gertz, who plays Melissa. And she was in the movie Crossroads with Ralph Macchio. And I don't know about that. I like, I like it. I think it's, it's a good enough movie. I just, I mean, my brother-in-law, if you talk to him, he'll tell you that it's like a great movie or it's just really, really good. And I, I just, I enjoy like the story of like Robert Johnson and like him selling his soul to the devil for, you know, to be the best blues guitarist ever or whatever it is. But I don't find the movie itself to be particularly great. And last but not least, we have Philip Seymour Hoffman, who plays Dusty. And he was in Boogie Nights. And obviously that's an all-time great. I fucking love that movie. I don't know that I'll do an episode on it anytime soon because I talked about it in trading ratings. And I just I feel like it's almost like there's too much shit to talk about to do a cohesive episode on. And he was also in Almost Famous, which is one I need to go back and revisit because I don't remember much of Almost Famous. I just I know what it's about and that's about it. So for casting notes, among those originally considered to direct were Steven Spielberg, James Cameron, Tim Burton and Robert Zemeckis. And actually Spielberg ended up being an executive producer on this movie anyway. Tom Hanks was originally planned to play Bill Paxton's character, but he dropped out in pre-production to write, direct, and star in That Thing You Do. Hanks worked with Paxton while filming Apollo 13 to help him land the part, which is pretty fucking cool. This list is ridiculous. I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. Mel Gibson, Kevin Costner, Dennis Quaid, John Travolta, Richard Gere, John Cusack, Nicolas Cage, Bruce Willis, Val Kilmer, Kurt Russell, and Michael Keaton were other possible considerations for Bill Paxton's part. And I just gotta ask, hey IMDb, what the fuck does that mean? Uh, There were possible considerations? Were there names written on slips of paper and thrown into a hat? What what does that mean? I don't I don't understand. What is your source? And I, I know I quote IMDb all the time and I have nothing to back it up, but I just sometimes they go a little fucking nuts and just say that things are what they are, even though they're not. Laura Dern declined to play the part of Joe and Helen Hunt actually chose to take this role in Twister over John Woo's Broken Arrow. And I can't even remember who else was in Broken Arrow, but that was a good call by Helen Hunt because like Twister was like a big fucking deal and like People knew about Broken Arrow, I think, but like it's it was not a particularly great movie. For the plot synopsis, a ragtag group of tornado chasers race to beat their snobby rivals in an attempt to deploy a tracking system to better understand the weather phenomenon. So for taglines, these are all fucking hot garbage. The dark side of nature. Don't breathe. Don't look back. Go for a ride you'll never forget. That could be fucking any movie. The beautiful yet destructive side to life. Okay. No one, I mean, there's, I don't feel like that really suits this movie. Like, I get the destructive, yes, but it's like, I don't know. It doesn't really suit it. The way, nobody's really remarking that much on, like, the beauty of a tornado in this movie. 
Alright guys, let's just dive right into the plot of this fucking movie. So, the beginning is arguably one of the more memorable sequences in the movie, and it takes place in the past, specifically June of 1969 in Oklahoma. We see a father, mother, and daughter fleeing in a panic to their cellar as a severe storm approaches. I've seen this actor that plays the dad before, and it turns out he was in Varsity Blues. I think he might have been like James Vanderbeek's dad, but I can't remember for sure. So we get some exposition that this might be an F5, which we later find out is like the largest tornado that can happen. I guess the latch for the cellar door is broken and the dad has to hold the door shut while the storm is going on and obviously the winds are getting pretty significant. And so inevitably the wind becomes too strong and the door flies off and I guess the dad couldn't let go of that door at the very least for some reason and he flies away with it to his assumed death. Back in the present, some weather center is setting up that there are about to be just a ton of tornadoes coming through soon. And this music is fucking absolutely what it needs to be. It's, it's so, they just hit the nail right on the head with it. I really like it. A man named Bill is driving with his fiance named Melissa to get his divorce papers signed by our protagonist, Joe, who we later find out is the little girl from the beginning that lost her dad with the cellar incident. Bill arrives and introduces Melissa to a group of goofball weather enthusiasts headed up by Joe. Call me crazy, I like Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton, but I don't think their characters or performances are particularly exceptional here. Very plain with the personalities and the portrayals. Dusty who is played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, is the total weirdo wild card of the group who keeps Melissa busy while Bill and Joe talk, and Bill tries to get Joe to sign the papers. Bill used to be a part of their team, but now he has a weatherman job, and Joe reveals that she has this piece of weather tracking equipment called Dorothy, as in, like, the Wizard of Oz Dorothy, because tornadoes which contains a series of instruments and sensors that, when sucked up into a tornado, can relay more advanced information about how tornadoes work. It was designed at least in part by Bill. The dream is that the info from this Dorothy device would be able to increase warning time for people to take cover. Fun note here, this ragtag bunch of tornado chasers is mostly forgettable with the exception of Philip Seymour Hoffman and Alan Ruck. Alan Ruck played Cameron in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, previously covered on this podcast. The team gets a call about an impending tornado, and they're off to the races. Bill and Melissa have to pursue them because Bill never got the signed papers from Joe. As the couple gets rolling, Bill points out a team led by a man named Jonas, a former colleague who has a corporate sponsor, and it's made pretty clear that Jonas only cares about money and not meteorology, so naturally we can assume that he deserves death of some kind at some point. Bill notes that the advantage the nerds have is the Dorothy equipment. The Melissa character is so deliberately unlikable that it actually kind of made me dislike Jamie Gertz, unfortunately, but it's really a testament to her acting ability because she's not like that in all of her other movies. She's really fucking good in this role, honestly. She's one of the better performances. I don't know who else is better, but I mean, she's fucking great. They find out that Jonas stole Bill's Dorothy design, and he does the thing that I love in movies, Bill does, where, you know, in movies and TV shows, 
they love to do this thing where the main character is like, let me at him. And they're like fucking going to fight somebody in the heat of passion. And all the all of that person's friends have to hold them back. So I do want to say that at this point during my viewing, I was desperately hoping the visuals would kind of sort of hold up because they were pretty fucking solid in the 90s. Like everybody was talking about this movie and like how cool it was. After a pit stop, Bill winds up in a truck with Joe leading the chase while Melissa has to follow behind for safety or something. It's almost like Bill prefers Joe over Melissa, but that can't be true because he wants her to finalize this divorce. There's no possible way that he still has feelings for Joe. Joe and Bill argue and Bill has to defend his actions, especially with like dating or being with Melissa. And it's like... We're to believe he's so distracted that he doesn't notice that the truck he's driving is veering off the road onto the shoulder and then onto the grass. And it's like, I'd buy the shoulder, but like, come on, if he's on the grass, like he's got to fucking notice that. So they really hammer at home that these bad guys are the bad guys and they've copied the good guys at every turn and don't have any ideas of their own. And they just kind of hope to beat the good guys to the punch and look more organized doing it. They encounter the first tornado, and honestly, the effects are still pretty fucking great, especially when tempering your expectations. Bill and Joe bail and hide under a small bridge at one point, and I'm not sure I'm good enough with weather stuff to understand how they weren't swept away when the tornado seemingly passed right the fuck over them. Melissa is all freaked out after the storm settles, which looks way more dramatic because everyone else in the group fucking loves tornadoes. Joe's truck was picked up and dropped and basically destroyed during this encounter with this tornado, and Jonas's people drive by and they don't even offer to help the good guys. I'm not sure what to think, but I feel like maybe I'm not supposed to like Jonas. Like, maybe he's not good. It's... It's really tough. It's if it if it's there, it's subtle. You know what I mean? Now the good guys are racing to catch up with these bad guys, and the bad guys all address each other as sir on the radio for some reason as they all approach the second tornado. The arrogant bad guys didn't recognize the indications of what course this tornado was gonna travel, but Bill did, and the good guys moved to intercept the tornado just in time for some flying cows. Oh yeah. Easily the most memorable thing about this movie, if you watched this movie and you don't remember the cow flying around, I mean, fuck. A large portion of this film is just Bill and Joe pointing out things and using meteorology jargon that no one would understand without the blatant definition playing right out on screen. Joe and Bill get out of the truck to share in the wonder of what they just experienced together, and they just leave Melissa back in the truck. The gang points out that they are close to Wakita, Oklahoma, and this means that they can visit Joe's Aunt Meg's house for a pit stop. I love that Melissa is just so fucking uncomfortable at the aunt's house. Like, she behaves as though she's never been in an unfamiliar environment in her entire life. The food looks good, but she's, like, acting grossed out by it and shit. And I'm like, it's, it's fucking steak and gravy and potatoes. Like get the fuck. You don't like steak, gravy or potatoes. Get, you can get the fuck out of here. All right. You don't need to be at this house taking up space. So the group starts talking about what a wild child Bill used to be when he was a part of their team. And the amount of flirting going on between Joe and Bill is insane. Like 
I get it if you're still in love with an ex, but you can't be this oblivious to the feelings of your current partner. Like, break it off with them or put the the old flame behind you or whatever word I want to say. Joe goes to shower and the group begins talking about different sizes of tornadoes, F1 through F4, and when they get to it, Melissa asks if there's such a thing as an F5. Everyone falls incredibly silent. None of them have ever seen an F5 except for Joe, and it's alluded to that the one that killed her dad was an F5. But also, like, these guys talk about tornadoes of all kinds in general all the time. So is that is it really a big deal to, like, just breathe a word about an F5? Because it's not going to undo their existence. So I suggest you let that one marinate. Multiple times in this movie, characters look at stuff like wind spinners outside moving in a 10 mile per hour breeze, and suddenly it's just like they fucking know that this tornado is definitely imminent. I also always fucking love good old 1996 technology as well. There have been beautiful ancient desktops and laptops and shit, and it's just hilarious because like some of this stuff, I'm like, God, were they really going mobile with this shit? Like, did they have laptops that they could even do anything with if they were on the road? I don't know. Bill Paxton's entire character in this film is just him looking at the sky and sharing a hunch that is always correct. And I don't know if I noticed the that's no moon, that's a space station Star Wars reference the last time I watched this, but it felt a little forced. They're coming up on this tornado, and they keep trying to get Dorothy in the path of destruction, but the sensors don't end up being taken by the tornado, and really no one knows how to fix that. It, like, basically to describe Dorothy, like, I guess you'll, you'll see a picture if you're watching video, but if you're listening to audio, I would liken it to, like, you know those, those, like, coolers that you see at, like, gas stations and convenience stores that are, like, they've just got ice in them, and they've got, like, a specific brand of beverage and they're they're just but they're like full of ice like essentially i would liken it to about that size there are these little balls like plastic balls with like circuitry and shit in them on the inside and that that the top of it opens up and it like is supposed to be sucked up by the tornado and it's just not working so no one knows how to fix this issue and joe has this breakdown when bill tries to make her prioritize everyone's safety over dorothy she's clearly still hung up on what happened to her dad and it's been her lifelong crusade to try and prevent happening what happened to her dad and bill basically explains to her that he still loves her but she can't keep living in the past and melissa overhears this whole conversation on the radio somehow without bill realizing it and it's just a matter of time until she's fucking gone melissa is not having this shit like she puts up with it way longer than she really should have so it's the drive-in scene and this is pretty fucking memorable as well not flying cows memorable but i think most people would point to this as like a major event in this movie. They're playing The Shining, which I have my thoughts about and I'm intending to cover it on an episode sometime. And now that Bill has professed his love to her again, Joe is finally just signing the divorce papers, I guess. The storm starts moving in and I guess none of these people at this Oklahoma drive-in realize what might come with this amid what I assume are dozens of official National Weather Service warnings. 
Seriously, none of these fucking Sooners seem like they know what to do during a tornado or even recognize warning signs in the least. But part of me wants to believe, like, as I watched this movie and I was thinking that, it's like, it's kind of like anything. It's like, maybe they just don't really react to it because it's no big fucking deal to them. Like, they're just like, I'm not fucking ruining my Saturday night at the drive-in to to hide in some fucking storm cellar and not die, all right? I, I will happily lose my life doing this. So the gang finds cover at the drive-in, and it's like the worst cover ever, and they almost die from flying debris. Like, giant things are, like, fucking flying everywhere, and they're, like, hitting things and causing destruction. Melissa left at some point. I can't remember exactly when. It had to have been around this time, like, when they're going to leave the drive-in. I can't remember for sure, though. I forgot to make note of it when I was watching. Back at Aunt Meg's house, we see Meg also not acknowledging the warning signs, and it almost kills her. Like, seriously, seek shelter or turn on a TV or radio or something. At least, like, if this is going on around you, like, yeah, you have to think that there's a possibility something's going to happen. So, spoiler alert, Joe finds her aunt in the wrecked house, and I guess killing her off would have just been too artistically bold for this movie. Of course, there's got to be another tornado coming, and guess what severity level it is? And Meg tells Joe to go, and that she's fine, so it's it's not a big deal. Joe starts staring at the wind spinners in her aunt's yard and realizes that they can make Dorothy fly by cutting up pop cans into fans or propellers by securing them to Dorothy's little tornado measuring balls. I'm not exaggerating. They are balls. And this is the second time this season that I've had to say balls over and over again in an episode. Last one was the rock, the green balls. Also, yes, I'm from Michigan and I call soda pop. I don't ever call it soda unless it is cream soda specifically. I always call it pop. Okay, so they're driving on this road and this F5 is literally like right there in this field, right next to the road they're driving on. And they drop Dorothy off, the first Dorothy that they have. They have more than one Dorothy. And it gets knocked over and it's as they're driving away and they can't go back to save it. And so it's kind of like a lost cause. And then you see this fucking F5 tornado and it's like, how much more big could this be? And the answer is none. None more big. Jonas's group gets a little too cocky for their own good, and they just die when the tornado swallows them whole, and then Bill and Joe are dodging tractors and fucking houses and shit being thrown about in the wind as they drive. It's weird. I don't ordinarily find Helen Hunt particularly attractive usually, which is also the case here. She's just not my cup of tea. I don't know what it is. The balls are jettisoned when Bill and Joe head toward the twister and bail from the truck. So I would say for me, the two things that stood out as the most memorable things had to be the flying cows and this final scene where Bill and Joe wind up in a tool shed and they're running from the tornado and they tether themselves with a leather strap to an iffy metal pipe and the tornado comes through and they hang up in the air and they get to see the inside of the nader. And it's it's pretty cool. I mean, the visuals, there's kind of strainings. So it's, it's not that great, but it's like, it's pretty cool that you see the inside of the tornado. But I do not buy that this fucking pipe is strong enough to hold them. But 
The movie says it is, so I guess we just have to take that as 100% accurate. The gang rejoins the now lovey-dovey Bill and Joe, and they all rejoice in their successes. Alright, so we roll credits and praise for this movie. I think the weather effects are still pretty fucking nifty. There's just a lot of enjoyable excitement inherent in all of the major scenes. You just, it's like, you know, without question, something exciting is going to happen. And it's just like a lot of intense stuff going on, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm really picking some poetic words here. And also this movie, it's still, it's, it's like, despite, like I've said, you know, like I, I still really enjoy it. It's still very watchable. And I think for me, that that might be the most valuable thing for a movie to be able to say is that it it's it's watchable. Like it's it's like it's compelling enough to keep your attention and you want to sit and watch it. For criticism, I would just say, like I said, about about Joe and Bill, these characters are not particularly great. They're not very well developed, in my opinion. Uh, they don't really have much for personalities. And I don't think that Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton were particularly great here. Rest in peace, Bill Paxton, and rest in peace, Philip Seymour Hoffman as well. And like the only other thing is the special effects. So like anything with the storms and stuff, they're generally pretty fucking solid. But like there are some moments here and there where it's it looks pretty CGI. Like it's it's pretty fucking fake looking, you know, though that like fell out of a video game or something. All right, so on to trivia. Filming in Oklahoma was briefly delayed due to the bombing of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City on April 19th, 1995. Many of the crew went to the site to help with recovery efforts. With a very loud and bass-heavy surround channel, this film was notorious for destroying surround speakers in theaters worldwide, apparently. A recording of a camel's moan was slowed down and used as the sound of the tornado. And I'll be honest with you, they could have fucking done without that. I mean, if you just made it sound like it was just like you did orchestration instead of that. But like, I noticed it a couple of times and I'm like, it's it's almost as bad as like, and this isn't a good example, but like an Ed 209 in RoboCop, it's like they use these fucking like, growls and stuff for this fucking robot and it's like what are we doing here this was the first movie ever released on dvd and it was also the last to be released on hd dvd hd dvd was the one that came out that was the competing format with blu-ray and blu-ray obviously won out and what really pisses me off is that like we almost we only got like a few years of Blu-ray centric releases, and then all of a sudden it became like a hey, you really should get this 4K ultra high def format that we have. And I'm like, no, fuck you. I'm not collecting different formats of movies and buying new players. No, a jet engine from a Boeing 707 was used to generate wind in some scenes. According to the book on the making of the movie, the CGI cow picked up by the twin tornadoes was originally a CGI zebra from Jumanji from 1995. It was Steven Spielberg's idea to kill off the father in the opening scene. Originally, he would have survived, but it was decided that his death would establish how dangerous tornadoes can be and the reason for Joe's obsession with them later in life. And honestly, it's, it's like if this dude didn't die in the beginning, 
There's no character development for Joe at all. Like, if you don't have this scene, what what are you going to show in this scene if he doesn't die? And I just found one IMDb nugget. It's not particularly egregious, but I found it funny. The instrument package used in the movie, Dorothy, is an homage to the instrument pack real tornado researchers attempt to place in the paths of tornadoes. The Totable Tornado Observatory, or Toto. Dorothy and Toto are both characters from The Wizard of Oz from 1939 who are also sucked up by a giant tornado. Thanks, IMDb. You done good. <laughs> oh, I left. I left. So I, I, I was going to call this segment further viewing and maybe I'll give it a different name because there, there are a lot of options out there. Further viewing was just like the new segment of like recommending some similar movies. And I and just basically, you know, giving giving recommendations of like, hey, you should check this movie out. If you like this movie, you'll like this other movie. So this is the title I gave it in my notes: parallel per- <laughs> parallel proposals. And I just said the first time I did this, it was a little more specific, but I said basically any other natural disaster movies that were popular in the mid to late '90s would be fine. So on to info and ratings, we have a runtime of 113 minutes. This movie is rated PG-13 by the Motion Picture Association of America. Budget, 92 million. Opening weekend, 41.1 million. Worldwide gross, 241.8 million. IMDb rating, 6.5. Rotten Tomato Critics score, 63%. Rotten Tomato Audience score, 58%. Personal rating, Four out of five stars. I really like this one. I I think it's still good. It's just like, I know, like, there are a a lot of shortcomings in this movie because this movie, if if it had gotten the right rewrites or the the right tweaks in its script, I think it could have really put it over the top for me, but not with what we have. All right, everyone. Well, like I said, you know, if you like this video, like, subscribe, do whatever you got to do across the entire internet and every platform. If you can, if you would be so kind as to do that, that would be great. All right. Well, have a good rest of your day. Bye now. Brandon at Random Reviews artwork, theme music, and podcast are written, performed, recorded, engineered, directed, and produced by Brandon Griffiths in association with Brandon at Random Reviews Entertainment. 